Podcast. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hold on to your butt. Come on, sucker. Let's get it on. Oh, you want to fight? You want to fight? Now, do not entertain hypotheticals. The world as it is is vexing enough. You don't know anybody named Iris? I don't know nobody named Iris. Can I have a piece of toast? I don't give a damn what you think you are entitled to. We are changing the course of history as we see it. That is what Western demands. How could you do this to me? Really, I want to know. Why did you do that? What you feel only matters to you. Step back for one minute and look at the big picture. And that's all. No, no, not for the real fire. We often bond a family that very few can understand. Help me. Help you. <laughs> I don't do drugs. Or whatever movies with Wesley and Iris. What up, and welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I'm your co-host, Iris, and I'm here with my older brother. Promising young Wesley. Today, we are talking a movie from 2020 and awards contender, Promising Young Woman. Pretty strong. We haven't seen Carrie Mulligan in a while, at least I haven't. She has a theme in the roles that she plays. Would you say that she's cornered the market on the heroic victim role? Uh, I think she took it over from Julia Ormond. (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty good. Who was in what? Uh, First Night, where she was Guinevere, all like, oh, no, save me. And she was in Legends of the Fall, where she was all torn between the brothers, and she was sad in love, and she was like, save me. And she was in Sabrina with Harrison Ford and Greg Kinnear torn between two dudes, and she was like, save me. Yeah, and but she also is like a... She becomes a strong woman in Sabrina. I think I saw that. It's a little bit different in Promising Young Woman because she's not the direct victim of the central crime which is is there a way to sum up taking advantage of women when they're drunk it's not exactly date raping but it kind of is i gotta say went into promising young woman not knowing what the heck it was about and i don't know if it was a good thing or a bad thing for this movie what does that mean well i'm trying to get my footing i'm watching the situation in the bar that slow push on her with her suspiciously lolling head and i was like oh that's not safe And also it wasn't realistic from a red flags hunting guy's perspective because no woman's friends would ever leave her in a bar that drunk, right? Maybe dudes Mm. would leave a smashed dude because they think it's funny. But who Mm. would ever leave a woman like that alone in a bar? I didn't question it too much because it looked like it was some kind of weird office or corporate party. I mean, every crotch shot in the opening montage was clad in khaki. Yeah. And so I just figured it was some kind of a corporate something or another where you don't exactly roll in with your friends. I wasn't sure how securely I was strapped into this roller coaster. And I didn't know if I should be let loose and like enjoy it or if I should hold on for dear life or check my (laughs) possessions or whatever. Because let's frame this. Let's go all the way to the the end. I sit Kelly down and I say, want to watch a movie? Well, what movie? Promising Young Woman. And she's like, really? So we watch it. And then at the end... 
she turns to me and we're not going to wait. She's not going to wait for the podcast episode. She's going to discuss it right now. And I was like, okay. And so it's like she poured herself a glass of Diet Coke, a big one, and then handed me a bunch of Mentos and was like, let's talk. And I was like, uh, I'm not sure how to proceed here. It reminded me that I wanted to open this episode by saying, like, this is going to be a tricky tightrope for you, Wes. Yeah. And I went through all the stages of grief or whatever the equivalent is for a male movie watcher in this kind of movie. And I think it was pretty clear that she was, that our director, Emerald Fennel, 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 was subverting expectations by making us think that she was a murderer. I was like, is that blood on her ankle? And Kelly's like, I think so. And definitely blood on her shirt? No, it's a jelly donut. And so obviously I thought she was murdering dudes. I think that was intentional. And then I was like, wait, is she targeting guys and then not murdering them? Is she like preying on them to tell them off? Because she didn't kill anyone. And then when she was with McLovin, he's obviously creepy and was meant to be seedy. Like no one is like, oh, well, he's a charming dude and he's just misunderstood from this movie's perspective. McLovin was always going to be gross. Was it the dirt stash or the coke? It was all of it. And then Bo Burnham showed up and I was like, what is happening? I don't have my footing with the male characters in this movie. Oh, Ryan, the pediatric surgeon. The movie takes you on this ride where she obviously has a focus and she's not interested in engaging truly emotionally with anyone. And then when she gets into this semi-relationship early stages with Ryan, she does start to laugh. She opens up. She gets flirtier. She gets happier. And I didn't know if it was a trap or if she, you know, obviously he's going to find out about her potentially murderous past. Okay, but isn't that a good thing? I thought that the mystery was pretty masterfully rolled out as we went along, right? We don't get, we don't understand right off the bat what happens with Nina, but we're given crumbs and the trail is satisfying to follow. And that's what I'm trying to figure out. We had a discussion about the little things and you said, which caught me off guard, you know, went through all this stuff and you were like, but isn't this such a dude movie? And I was like, I don't know. How is this a dude movie? And you're just like, it's dude movies doing dude things. And they're looking out for each other because they're dudes and they're bros. And I guess in the same way, I could ask you that question about this movie. If this is a women's movie, because obviously it doesn't paint the nicest picture of gentlemen. And she is playing the victim, but using that to her advantage. And, and that's sort of her power is in her perceived vulnerability to men. Um, I would say that Promising Young Woman is 100% a chick movie or a woman's movie. And I would also say that Promising Young Woman is the movie that we've all been waiting for. It's complicated. It is important. It's well done. It's conversation provoking. Like, I would say it's a women's movie in the best way possible. And did Brian watch it? And and Brian watched it with me. In Promising Young Woman, we're talking about the female experience. And it's an experience about which people can be totally justified in their righteous unrest. Man, did you write that down? Nope. <laughs> Man. While we're still on a surface level, I got to get a couple of things out if you don't mind. Go for it. Number one. I was not having a great time up front. I thought she was icky and I was like, nope, nope, nope. Because you have to acknowledge from if I place myself in the shoes of the guys at the bar, I'm like, oh, red flag, red flag. No, no, don't do it. Don't do it. Right. 
And I was annoyed by her sort of preying on these dudes. And I was viewing her disparagingly because she wasn't playing a typical feminine comedy role. This is hard to explain. But to give you an example, our director told some of the guys in the film while they were filming, look, this is a romantic comedy. You are the star of this romantic comedy. Act accordingly. And so they thought they were the heroes in these stories, or at least that's how they were playing them. Right. And I didn't like her at all. I was like, nope, she's drama and she's trouble and she's obviously damaged. And I was like, oh, that's weird. McLovin is here and Bo Burnham is here. And then something shifted a little bit in. No prompting, just going through the movie. And I was like, is this how dudes actually are? Yes. You're talking about the female experience. And I'm like grossed out by them where because I ha and I was telling Kelly, I have this weird hero complex fantasy where I could be the dude trolling bars. And then you find the woman who's in distress and who's been abandoned by her friends and is obviously in no position. And I fancy myself not a rapist or a predator. And I can make sure these people get home. You know, I can walk a lady home like when Bo Burnham walks there when they're walking and he's like, this is weird. I'm at my apartment. And because of convenience, I'll just go upstairs. Is that OK? That was weird to me. It's like, no, no matter what. It doesn't matter if you're in front of your house, you walk her home. That's the point. Oh, we have to come back to that moment because it was so genius. The point is, I was really struggling with this idea that it's true. This is not a weird feminine take on dumbing down male characters. I'm afraid that dudes are actually consistently this gross. Yeah, I think in my experience they have been and not to like lump everybody together or whatever, but there wasn't one archetypal male character in here who hasn't been represented in some way or another in my life. And I think I wanted to give you a little credit because I remember a long time ago you said to me, if I'm walking down the street in the, in the at night and there's a woman on my side of the street, out of respect for that woman, knowing what I look like and what I am and who I am, I'm going to cross the street. And just make it a little bit more comfortable for them. Am I quoting you correctly? Yeah, it's pretty close because it's got to be scary. And it's also my big dude complex. Like I can't, I'm afraid of freaking people out. <laughs> but it comes from a place of respect and wanting to give the additional kind of signal to somebody that like you don't mean any harm, right? And 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 And, and hopefully that will put them... At ease, And so that's appreciated. But I do think there's another interesting kind of complex that um, is worth identifying. And I and maybe it doesn't apply to you. Maybe it doesn't apply to Brian because he certainly doesn't think it does. But also men don't think of themselves as being like other men. They're the exception, right? I guess. To the last moment, Al Monroe was like, I'm a good guy. I love my I love my wife. Like so in denial about who he is do I guess maybe I'll pose it as a question like do most men think that they're the exception to the gross male rule absolutely but those men aren't that dude at the bar that's a different thing a lot of the time I'm guessing and I know that women are like you know I met this dude and we had a great time and we were really close and I really felt like I was falling for him and then I find out what that he has a wife and a, and a family it really is compartmentalized dudes only want one thing and it's disgusting and dudes really do want that one thing but it's not the only thing it's a compartmentalized thing and so, yes, I think that a man believes that he can have the stable family home life and he is good to his wife and kids, except when he's out doing dirty dog 
crap at the bar. It's a different thing. It's like the way dudes talk to each other is not the way dudes talk to women. And I think that this forced compartmentalization of a man's psyche is such that they can have a broad range of emotions without them conflicting or spilling over. Huh. Uh, it's a ju- it's certainly a justification for some of the dumb things that guys do. But men love video games, but they also really want women to be happy and they want to have emotional connections. But when they're focused on video games, women are like, you know, you spend an awful lot of time playing video games and not enough time on this relationship or whatever. <laughs> it's just it's a it's a distraction. One and of the more benign examples. But yeah. I know that sounds like justifications, but I know that I've never preyed on a woman in a bar in some seedy kind of way. And so I feel like I'm a halfway decent dude, but that doesn't mean I've always done decent things. I mean, how do you sum up a man's life, right? Especially if they're all compartmentalized. I mean, Al Monroe, I'm sure he was a doting fiance and a great doctor who speaks at the, you know, goes back to his alma mater to inspire students and future doctors and blah, blah, blah. But like, he's still a bad dude, right? Well, think about it this way. At the time that he did what he did, these cases, these accusations, if there wasn't a basis for women in Hollywood to speak up when they were treated unfairly, it was just the nature of the business. And not to say that it wasn't horrible for, you know, the, the victims at the time, there just wasn't recourse or an avenue or a platform. And everyone was complicit, but those things were still wrong. And I think that's what the basis for the Me Too movement is. You know, this reminded me of The Morning Show, which, like Promising Young Woman, is very topical and hits some of the points of the Me Too movement. And there was a there was a moment where Steve Carell's character takes advantage of a young news reporter in his hotel room. And Brian, who is a really good guy and a great husband and, um, you know, gentle and sweet, not a predator, was like, well, why did she go back to the hotel room with him? And I was like, seriously? Dude, very slippery slope. And I and I'll Seriously. I'll, I'm gonna join Brian on this side of the line for, for one no. second. No. Well, for one second, then hope you're stepping back to the other side because this is the exact kind of thinking. Like women should be able to wear whatever they want, act the whatever way they want, go wherever they want, and not be at risk of being a victim of a sexual predator. A hundred percent. You should be able to wear and look however you want and do whatever you want, but there is a fundamental, I believe, sort of channeling Brian, an issue of women's accountability. You can do all those things, especially in a first world country in a place of privilege, but you have to understand that regardless, there are bad people in the world, and you're increasing your chances of being attacked because there are... (laughs) How do you... I mean, how do you how do you explain it? If if you you want to wear, you're having a hard time with it because there it shouldn't be qualified. I've got it. This is a hundred degrees in Cairo, and American tourists being like, "It's hot. I want to wear booty shorts and crop tops and go to the Cairo Museum," and then they get groped sometimes by police officers. Sometimes on the train, there's nothing you can do because that is a situation where you should understand that you're not at an advantage. And if you put yourself in a compromising situation, bad things are going to happen. How do I help the problem that men are assholes? I can't. All I can do is tell, you know, the women in my life, don't put yourself in line of sight of assholes to be targeted. 
I, I don't, as a male, I don't know how to rectify this problem. Please, ladies, don't take obviously dangerous chances because you feel like your confidence trumps the evilness of man. So is it just a matter of re-education? This is a multi-generational thing. This is breeding wolves into pugs. This is evolution on, a, <laughs> on an epic scale. I don't know how to do it. So in Promising Young Woman, so to answer your question, Carrie Mulligan's character, Cassandra, is taking matters into her own hands. And this is how she is dealing with the predatory male pestilence that she sees in the world. So she she's on a mission to re-educate every man that she connects with in a bar that takes her home and tries to take advantage of her. She doesn't seem happy with this life. She seems compelled to live it, even at the at the expense of her own, as um, Ryan put it, failure, until she crossed paths with Ryan, right? Which, which changes her in so many ways. At first, she sees the chance at love, and then she is fortified in her resolve, and her mission takes a kind of a dark turn. She's not going to just, you know, target these random marks in the bar. She's going to get revenge on Al for what he did directly to her friend, to what he did for what he did to Nina. And basically her whole plan kind of falls into place. And she very methodically goes through it step by step. And don't get me wrong, she's a psychopath or a sociopath or whatever, you, however, however you want to clinically diagnose it. But it's not like she's out of her mind. It's very methodical and it's very clear what she's trying to do to change the situation. You know, in my weirdness and frustration, I was trying to figure out what this movie was. I wondered, is she a rape superhero? Is she like a... So that's not bad. That's bad. Is she like a rape <laughs> Avenger or something? And obviously that's simplifying it. And she did wear a costume at the end, which was kind of silly. But that's also a costume that the frat dudes were howling about, right? They were all happy about that. That's not the word that Kelly used. She didn't use psychopath. She didn't use sociopath. She used badass. She was a badass, is what she said. And I don't know that that headlong assessment is all that productive because she also acknowledged that this plan inevitably was going to backfire. You can't go into the lion's den and tempt the lion. Eventually, you're going to get bitten. I mean, obviously, that's what happens in the end with Al. But it also, when she tries to open up to Ryan, it goes badly in a way that she couldn't necessarily foresee. But Kelly saw it. Ryan knows Al. Ryan knows Madison. Ryan knows everybody that that they were all in med school at one point together with. Ryan betrayed himself the moment he pulled his gross, pseudo-charming, oh, look, it's my apartment thing. Oh, is that what he was doing? Yes. He was, <laughs> oh my God. I honestly... He was, he outed himself that he was a douche right from the beginning. I mean, is it a douche to want to have sex? He wasn't going to force himself on her. If you want to have sex with a woman, you say, I really like you. I want to have sex with you or I want to <laughs> get intimate with you. Not like weird, passive, aggressive, aggressive. But not too early. You can't leave with that at the bar. It's not a crime to want to have sex, but it was a douchey thing to do to be weird and passive aggressive about wanting to take their very friendly, you know, conversation or time together to the next level. I saw it coming and and surprisingly I didn't see it coming as clearly as Brian did. Like Brian called the video the moment Madison brought it up. 
Interesting. But we're talking about, you're talking about clear headedness, although her motivations or her driving force maybe was a little bit twisted. And it's not to say that that's her fault. She had definitely factors that twisted her. But I thought almost immediately of falling down, trying to ex examine whether this movie would feel different if the roles were flipped. And that was Michael Douglas having had enough at the way he was treated as a nobody, as a general consumer, and kind of flipping out. And in the end, spoiler, that it come, kind of comes back to haunt him. He's, it, it can only go on for so long, right? When you buck the trend and you really push to overcompensate, it never goes very well. Well, that's to be that's debatable in Promising Young Woman because I think there's an argument to be made that what happened at the bachelor party was exactly what she intended to have happen. And of course, that was the question for me. Apparently, it ended originally at the funeral pyre in the woods. And people were like, that's sad. So I guess it's a literally a contrivance where she premeditated at least. And the director said, once she got Cassie in the room with Al and in the room with, you know, dozens of bachelors, there was no practical way. She wasn't going to mow them all down and escape via the fire escape. And I was trying to figure out what the point would be once Cassie was dead. Spoiler. But Carrie Mulligan said the same thing. She said that Cassie, in her opinion, didn't go in there with the intention of dying, but rather allowing that if it were going to happen, her work would not have been in vain. I kept trying to put this movie in a box. Is it the Kill Bill of Rapists? Is she... <sighs> a superhero or a rape avenger? Are we supposed to like her? And it was me trying to safeguard myself from what this movie is. In subverting this, uh, the girl with the dragon tattoo, the American, the David Fincher version, some horrible stuff happens with handcuffs and a bed, but she was not going to go quietly. When Al gets handcuffed to the bed, I'm pretty sure that I could have gotten out of there. If the Avenger is coming at me with a scalpel, I'm breaking that bed to pieces. And he was like, tink, 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 tink. Oh, please let me out, please. I just felt like that at that point, the cornered animal really would have reacted differently. I would have been huh. kicking. I would have flipped that bed over, Edge of Tomorrow style, and I would have shattered that headboard just by sheer <laughs> adrenaline. He was like, please don't do it. Strange. Okay. And so fair. I didn't feel like tonally, I, I was I struggled with this movie tonally because it was supposed to be cool and hip and sort of bling ringy and blingy. Stylish, Pink. right? Almost like a music video in places, or at least a music video from my days. But, <laughs> but once all that is stripped away, it was a very hard message for me to accept. And I had to do it unflinchingly. And that a was... A hard pill to swallow? Yeah. So what was that message? That... Cassie would have been totally forgotten. These guys out of med school would have been beyond suspicion. She would have died and been burned. And I don't know that it never would have been solved, but nobody cared. Even Nina's mother was like, Cassie, can you just move on from this? There was a, a helplessness, a hopelessness that was really hard. And Cassie was the only person. And it wasn't about vengeance as much as it was remembering and acknowledging a horrible thing that was done, and for the people who did survive to not let them get away with it. Because when you strip it all away, it doesn't come down to how you dress in a bar or who perceives you. When people do bad things, they need to be held accountable. No matter how much you feel you've grown, 
into a man with a family and and a different value system, you have to be accountable. And this is the message that is embodied in the attorney. He's like, I'm, I'm expecting this. Like, and like, are you going to hurt me asked in such a way that like, if you do, well, you know, I'm, I deserve it or I'm prepared or I just want to know. But what I'm curious about now is why that is a hard pill to swallow or why that's a hard message to take. Because I didn't like watching this movie. I didn't have fun. I, I didn't like her. And when she opened up and like was kind of at Ryan's mercy for a while, I was like, this is strangely inconsistent tonally. That was I was like, whoa, did this just become a romantic comedy? Right, what exactly. is happening? You're either a murderer or you're a rom-com. You're either a murder movie or a rom-com. And I couldn't figure out what was happening. And I was like, don't even pretend like I'm going to try to like her. And I'm struggling with it because the point was I was never supposed to like her. She was never supposed to be girlfriend or wife material as I perceived it, if it makes sense. She was, I wasn't hoping, I shouldn't have been rooting for things to go smoothly because that also would have let Nina be forgotten. I wasn't prepared. And then I had to acknowledge that no matter what she did, no matter how horrible she was to any of the guys that she picked up at the bar, she was right. She was always right, unwavering in her journey and her struggle, and nobody let her down. In a bad way. Except maybe the lawyer. But even the lawyer was given his opportunity to redeem himself, and I have to assume he did. I have to admire the Cassie character, even though she was never, for my purposes, charming, engaging, or likable because the whole point that's and because that's the whole point as a dude going into this movie all <laughs> i saw was the red flags and that's the point uh it's interesting that you say that she was uh, she was never disappointed in the way that you wouldn't expect right she was actually she was constantly disappointed but never surprised but not yeah exactly never surprised like in her quest that 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 men would be men or that men would be unrepentant or that men would be in denial but, you know, I have to say, too, there's certainly been moments in my life where I've been complicit. I remember when Danny Masterson's rape case was introduced years ago. I was like, dude's a homeboy's married man with a kid. Like, why are they dredging up this stuff? Um, a soft spot in my heart for Danny Masterson, having worked with him on my first PA job ever. And then just thinking, like, no, if multiple women have stepped up with sexual abuse allegations, like women who also have families and and children and who want justice for what happened to them. And you had no idea. You thought Danny Masterson was a big sweetie. But also, sometimes you have to know when not to get involved with people. When David Copperfield or Steven Seagal hits you up, you got to be like, nah, not, no. That's your personal uh, women's accountability of knowing when to not look or act a certain way because the chance of danger is so much higher. I know the point that I wanted to make. Go. One of the reasons it was a hard pill to swallow is because I had to figure out whether or not she is a hypocrite. I did not like that she would have subjected Madison. We didn't know what that dude did. And she, in my mind, subjected Madison to the same thing maybe that Nina went through in a way. 
the filmmakers let us believe that for a long time. Yeah. Right. To bring it home. And that made me hate her. I was like, that's the most hypocritical shit I've ever heard. And it's super frustrating. But it was consistent with her character that, right, or consistent maybe even with the storytelling that you might make these assumptions, draw these assumptions about Cassie. But in the end, she really didn't do anything wrong. We don't know what she was going to do with Al if she, she was going to physically harm him. And she didn't get a chance to do anything before he killed her. I had to swallow the fact that or come to terms with the fact that her motivations for everything were to an end that it was necessary for Madison to be shaken up in the way that she was when nothing actually happened to her. The same thing with the Dean. It it wasn't real to her. It was all, it was politics and it was business until it came home and her daughter was maybe in a compromised position. And it was just an eye opening thing in the same way that she was trying to do with McLovin and the other dudes at the bar where no one was actually getting hurt. It was just jogging perspective. A little bit. And my perspective was jogged ultimately for this movie. And that's never a good feeling because if I feel like I'm a good dude and my opinions are sound and I'm not bad, so I, I wouldn't have bad or unpopular opinions. And I was like, maybe I'm one of these dudes. And I'm not sure how many men got enjoyment out of it. It was one that maybe required a gut punch for it to be effective because complacency is a problem. Well, I bet if you look back at your list of favorite movies, half of them didn't leave you feeling good, but left you changed. That's what makes me feel like I didn't waste two hours of my life on Promising Young Woman. It's an important movie, but it is too sophisticated a movie for everyone to draw the same, the universal message. I'm afraid that there are dudes who unconsciously identify with any of the dude characters and are like, this bitch is like, just killing people like what i'm supposed to like this that she's just like preying on men because of her friend that's my dude voice <laughs> that's their that's your max greenfield voice it was too hard and message movies are effective and all that but it was kind of poorly acted it was poorly acted and i would need to watch it again for the twists and turns for me to think that everything was in place and deliberate and carefully crafted as such it was an all right movie. Will you watch it again? Will you recommend it? And that's the problem here in trying to figure out what my rating is. It all comes down to rewatchability. It's important and it needs to be heard. A story that needs to be told, but it's not necessarily pleasant to have to be told because it forces us to examine some of our prejudices. I'm still unwrapping it, but you know, you peel back the layers and you feel justified in getting to the core. It's still kind of an onion. <laughs> I don't think this movie was ultimately an onion. I think it was... Um... Maybe it was a blooming onion. <laughs> it was a little bit greasy, a little bit unsettling in the stomach, but I guess Still delicious. Still kind of satisfying. And, and <laughs> yeah, high caloric value. Well, there you got it. An all right from Wes, a good from Iris. What did you think about our discussion of Promising Young Woman? Was I too hard on Wes? I mean, come at me, sis, I guess. 818-835-0473 is our hotline or whatever movies at gmail.com we hope you enjoyed it and we will hope to see you next time thanks again Bye.
Ever thought about starting your own podcast? Do you have a business or a message you want to share with the world? Well, now it's easier than ever with Electricast. Hi, I'm Mark Netter. And I'm Peter Rafelson. We're the founders of Electricast Media. Whether you want to start a new podcast or already have one, join Electricast to grow your audience, monetize your content, and build your community. With our simple sign-up, you get free promotion, world-class analytics, premium ads, and personal support. Go to Electricast.com and join our community today. Electricast. Transform your influence. Electricast. Miles, are you ready to record our promo for Season 2 of the Wanna Bet Podcast? David, have you ever seen a grown man naked? Miles, we're not here to quote lines from Airplane. We're here to tell people that Season 2 starts August 18th. I like Airplane. I know you do, but WannaBet is a sports betting podcast. Each week we bet $1,000 on the NFL teams and games that we love. Well, that sounds like fun. It is fun. And last year you picked over 60% of your games correctly. How'd you do? We're not talking about that. We are telling people that they can find us every Friday. So no more movie quotes. Roger, Roger. Electric Acid. Electric Acid. 